Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 14. We're going to continue on in our sermon series, Some Good News. And today, church, I've got some amazing news for you. Let me start by sharing with you. There, there are times in which moms and dads, husbands and wives, argue about finances. They say that finances are the biggest topic about which husbands and wives argue about and get divorced about. It creates so much turmoil. I have been working on this for now June 9th, in just, what, a week and a half, my wife and I will be married for 36 years. I am so impressed with my wife. (laughs) The truth is, it's hard for us sometimes to talk about finances. In the beginning of our marriage, it was harder. We have learned some things about how to talk about finances with one another, but can I be the first to admit, it's still hard. I know that when we get to talking about finances, I know that I need to have a right attitude. I know that I'm, respond graciously, talk kindly, be compassionate, right? But even so, when we talk about finances, I can still blow it on occasion. And I've got to go back at times and apologize to my wife. But you know what? I think each of us face failure like this. And to be honest with you, it feels final. But the truth is, there is forgiveness, and it is never final. There's forgiveness in Christ. Can I ask you, how do you deal with the guilt that comes knocking? How can we handle it successfully? I'll be honest with you, sometimes we can, we can really be harsh on ourselves and say, Man, I was an idiot. What? How utterly inept I was. How stupid will I ever learn? And we feel like a failure. As we read through this story, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to be looking at Peter and how he denied Christ three times. We're going to take a very brief look at how Judas responded when he felt guilty. So you're there with me. We're going to start in Mark chapter 14, verse 27. Now follow, they're in the, uh, they've just celebrated the Lord's Supper. They have yet to leave and go cross the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives where the Garden of Gethsemane is. So that's the setting. They're still in this room. And this is how Jesus concludes the night with some really cheery news. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Do you hear his sense of confidence? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered today. Yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I were to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Let's skip over now. This is after the gar- This is at the end of the time of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 43, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, appeared with him. <clears throat> Excuse me, with him. <clears throat> Excuse me. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs. 
sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now, the betrayer, remember, that's Judas. Now, the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. We know that that was Peter. Mark is writing this gospel and was a close traveling companion of Peter's. So I think Mark is being very gracious and he's leaving Peter's name out. Regardless, Peter in his impetuosity reaches for his sword and cuts the high priest's servant's ear off. And Jesus continues, am I leading a rebellion, Jesus said, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Turn over now to the end of the chapter with verse 66. They have Peter followed the crowd at a distance, the band. Jesus is with them under arrest and he goes into the courtyard of the high priest. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or, or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow's one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them. You're a Galilean, I could tell by his accent. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. <laughs> wow. Failure right now for Peter felt final. He is filled with remorse. He had been told ahead of time, Peter, you're going to deny me three times tonight. Tonight. And even though Peter knew this, well warned, he still denied Jesus three times. Mm. Even in his confidence. You know, the term that Jesus used here is interesting. He says in verse 27, you will all fall away on account of me. Fall away. Wow. What he means by that is that you're going to flee from me. You're going to desert me. You're going to leave me. I'll be by myself. And you're going to do this to save your own necks. That, in essence, is what Jesus was saying. Isn't it interesting? We see in earlier, we see a picture of Mary giving this amazing devotion of worship and of affection and love for Jesus, knowing that her sins 
are, are forgiven and that she is right before God. He was a close friend. He had done miracles, maybe even a miracle in her life, but certainly raising her brother Lazarus from the dead. She was so grateful. And we saw a picture where she bows down, anointing his head, then his feet, takes her hair down, wipes her feet. What an amazing act of devotion. And the Bible says, Jesus tells us this, that this story, this example of devotion will go throughout the world, wherever the gospel is preached. Amazing. And now we turn to a contrasting picture. Here is Peter, the exact opposite of devotion. And in all honesty, a woman expresses devotion, but guys, what happened? When their lives are on the line, they flee, they run, they they desert Jesus. Peter, then following Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, of course, from a distance, right? He eventually is found out, and each time, three times, each time he denies that he even knows Jesus. The exact opposite of devotion. And instead, what we're going to see here is an act on Jesus' part of restoration. We're going to get to that in a bit. But we need to understand what Peter is going through, and Judas, what, what they're going through, because each of us, we can, we, can, we can wrestle with this guilt, just like they're wrestling. And they handle it two very different ways. And we're going to need to talk about that, because how we handle the guilt when we have failed, even though we are so confident that we will not sin and we do it, the failure feels final. And Jesus is reminding Peter, we're going to see this, That is not true. It feels final, but it's not. I'm so grateful that for us, the story doesn't end with Peter's denial. We'll see that he's restored. But then through the book of Acts, we see this amazing, mighty man of God from the day of Pentecost on that he is bold as a lion when he proclaims the gospel, standing before 70 of the most scholarly, biblical uh, experts in the law. He defends the healing that Jesus did, the healing of this crippled man, and he speaks boldly on behalf of Jesus Christ, proclaims the gospel. Even in the midst of persecution, he stands firm. Wow, what an amazing, mighty man of God that God restored and turned around. You know, Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, Jesus, excuse me, Luke adds something here when they're in that upper room during the Lord's Supper. And when he talks about Peter's denying, listen to what else Luke adds here. Jesus turned to Simon and said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Now listen to this, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Wow. You know, even though Peter left and wept bitterly after denying the Lord three times, failure was not final for him. When you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Not only was there a prophetic word given to him about how he would fail, but there was a prophetic word that he would be restored. And when you turn back, the question though, church, is how do we turn back and then how do we eventually even strengthen 
others. Because that is the prophetic word that Jesus has given to Peter. It's not just you're going to fail, but you're going to come back. You're going to be restored, and then you're going to be, I'm going to use you to strengthen others. Failure may feel final, but it is not. You know, I can remember when I was in my younger days as a teenager, my brother Dan and I used to wrestle. And he's three and a half years older than me. He was much taller than me. And so he kind of set the pace for us, and he wrestled. And then when he went into high school, he talked to the wrestling coach, hey, my younger brother, it's in seventh grade, uh, he's going to come in, and I want you to really help him. The coach said, I'll look forward to it. I'll do what I can, Dan. When my brother Dan and I would be at home, we would wrestle a lot. Unfortunately, we also broke things, and my mom did not really appreciate that, especially the coffee table. I can't tell you how many times I had to repair that coffee table. But we would wrestle around and knock things over, break things, and he would say to me, okay, now, Mike, careful. I'm going to throw a half Nelson on you, and I'm going to turn you over and try and pin you. And I'm thinking, oh, no, you're not. But sure enough, he would throw a half Nelson on me, turn me over, and he would pin me, even though I knew it. And he said, now he's on the defense, and he says, okay, Mike, now I'm going to grab your elbow. I'm going to roll you. Careful. He grabs my elbow, and he rolls me, and I'm all prepared. I'm, I'm like, there's no way he's going to roll me, and he rolls me anyway. And I'm just thinking, Dan, this is frustrating. I, I felt like the, the, the worst wrestler ever on the planet. I'm ready to just pack it in. And my brother Dan said, well, look, Mike, let me show you now how to counter this. But I tell you what, even though he warned me, this is what I'm going to do. Careful, I'm about to pin you. He pinned me anyway. I'm about to reverse you, and I'll be in control, and I'm going to get two points. And He would still do it, no matter what. And it was frustrating, and then he showed me how. So that's what I want to do, church. I want to show you how, not how to throw a half Nelson. I want to show you how do you deal with the guilt. Because if we wallow in the guilt, we will not go anywhere. Okay? How do we avoid this feeling and move forward? You know, I'm not going to read it, but I, I do want to describe to you. Judas, when, after he had betrayed Jesus, he got his 30 pieces of silver. It says that he wrestled or was overcome by remorse. Wow. He was actually sorry for what he did. We call that guilt. He was feeling guilty. And we might read that, and we might say, well, maybe there's hope for him yet. His heart isn't quite so hard. But then the Bible says that he took his own life. He had taken the silver, thrown it into the temple. It was blood money, and he didn't want anything to do with it, and he went out, and he took his life. What happened? Peter, when he went out and he wept, something very different happened. Let me walk you through it. You know, when, when I was a boy, my mom and my dad would take us camping. We would go to the White Mountains in New Hampshire. How many of you have ever been to the Northeast, ever in the Northeast? None of you Yankees, huh? Okay, you, okay all right. I was a Yankee, born a Yankee, still a Yankee. And I was, uh, we, we would vacation in, in New Hampshire in the White Mountains. Passaconaway, uh, I believe, was the main road that would go there. But you have to be careful because on those mountain roads that wind around the mountain, there are sharp curves, 
And if you're not careful, you can hit deer. Now, especially at night, and I can remember on one occasion as we're traveling winding roads, and my dad, when he was in his 20s working on his master's degree, I found out about this later, my dad was a taxi driver. And being a taxi driver, he learned how to park fast, take curves quick, and uh, I would get scared. There were many times he would go around the curves on the mountain, and I would just sink down below the seats. I couldn't watch. I put my head, head in, my, in my lap, and I, I, I wouldn't watch. There was one time that was, we were at night going around a curve, and ahead of us, not too far, was a deer. And the deer was crossing the road, the what do you, the fun, there we go, was on the other side and was, the deer, the mommy deer was crossing, looked this way to the, on, to our car and just stopped and stared at our car. And my dad, knowing what was happening, slammed on his brakes and we were inches from the deer. And I, I think my dad at that point turned the lights off and the deer took off. And I looked at my dad, I said, dad, why didn't the deer move? And my dad told me, he said, Mike, when headlights hit the eyes of the deer, they freeze. They're, they're in paralysis and they can't move until the lights are shut off. And so luckily we were safe and we didn't hit the deer, but there are times in which when we come face to face with our sin, we are paralyzed. Can I ask you, what is it that paralyzes us? What is it that causes us to freeze? Let me use a, an illustration. I get, I get a bill from a particular company. I'm not going to mention the company. But I get a bill through the email. And it says to press this particular icon in order to, this link, in order to go to my particular, my particular uh, bill page, and I can pay my bill there. When I click on that, it takes me to what's called a pass-through page. And there in the middle of my page is this arrow going around and around and around and around forever and ever and ever, and it never takes me to the bill page. And I don't know what the problem is. Maybe they send it out before the link's correct. But there's only one way to get off that page. You have to X out. You have to X out. Now, what I'll do then is, is I, I'm, I'm always wondering, did they get this fixed? I'll try it. And I will click on that link. And sure enough, around and around and around. It's like it's lost. It's like a deer caught in the headlights, right? And it doesn't move. I got to click out in the upper right-hand corner, and then I, I go back to the email page. I go to another tab. I go onto the actual company's website, log in, and from there, take care of the bill. I then go to the bill page, and I pay my bill. And that's how I have to do it. You see, what paralyzes us are the lies that we believe. It's the lies that paralyze. Remember that. It's the lies that paralyze. And there's only one way to get out of that, church. You got to X out. You've got to pull back, and you've got to go to the truth page, if you will. And as you come to that truth page, how much you owe 
in our lives, now I'm taking this out of the illustration, Jesus has already paid the bill. That's the truth page. And there's many other types of truths that we're going to encounter on that truth page. But you got to X out. You have to stop believing the lies. You have to put your foot down and you have to say, like a deer caught in headlights, I got to get out of this. I am caught in the lie. And it freezes you. It paralyzes you. Lies. Let me just read some of these lies. Let me find it here. This sin is just too bad. It's too terrifying. How about this one? I've done this same sin too many times. Or how about this one? God is angry with me. Or I'm worthless of no redeeming value. And we get caught in the headlights of those lies and they paralyze us. You see, this is what happened with Judas. He didn't exhale. He didn't say, wait a second, this is not what I'm believing right now. This is not true. There is redemption. There is hope. But for Judas, he couldn't see it. He had so totally blown it. There is nothing. There is no way God would ever forgive him. There is no way that God would ever redeem him. There is no turning back. This is it. Failure was final for Judas. See, Peter didn't view it that way. Now, let's understand, though, for Judas and Peter, there was a little difference here. You remember Peter was the keeper of the money bag. There was an issue in his heart from the get-go. There was a lack of devotion that was an issue of his heart that was not there for Peter. If anything, Peter was too quick to jump in and impulsive in his responses. So, uh, Peter, uh, who do men say that I am? I'm going to tell you, I think you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And so Jesus goes on and he says, well, you know what? The uh, son of man is going to be betrayed in the hands of men. He's going to die and rise on the third day. And Peter looked at him and he said, nothing doing. Never happened. Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. He said, Peter was this guy. He would, he would just jump in with both feet. He wasn't a toe dipper. He would just jump right in. He was that kind of a guy. But Judas, Judas stepped back and he would start wondering, you know what? Maybe I'm too far gone. Maybe there's no hope for me. Maybe I really am worthless. Maybe those things that my parents said about me when I was growing up, maybe they are true. Maybe I'm never going to get things right. Maybe this is my end. Maybe failure is final. Judas's heart from the very beginning was wrong. But you know what's something? If you are a Christian today, that's different. With, as a Christian, you have a deposit of the truth in your life. Jesus Christ has come. He has redeemed you. He has changed your heart. And now when you feel as if failure is final, the truth stands completely different, stands completely opposed to those lies. But here, let's be honest. We can all be that proverbial deer caught in the headlights. Lie after lie and truly, truly, come on now, believing those lies. Jesus had to encounter this. So what I want to do with you, I, I, I'm not going to read the passage, but in John 21, because I actually preached on it several months ago, but in John 27, you remember this, 15 to 17, this Pete, Jesus approaches Jesus at the Sea of Galilee. 
And he asked him, no, three times, he asks him a question. Simon, do you love me? Peter responded every time, yes, Lord. Like, come on, especially at the third time, he gets frustrated. Lord, you know I love you. Come on. Why, do, do you doubt me? I'm, I'm feeding. I'm reading between the lines here. But you could tell he's getting frustrated. Like, why don't you believe me? Three times Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? Three times Jesus said, yes, Lord. And then each time, now listen to this, so interesting. Each time Jesus says to Peter, then feed my sheep. So here's what I want to do. How does Jesus respond to Peter? He gives him three truths and a question. Three truths and a question. The three truths, in essence, are the Simon, you're forgiven. You are not discarded. And, and I'll be honest with you, it's very easy for us to feel when we have sinned, as Peter did, for us to feel as if that God truly has not forgiven us. I mean, we're still wrestling with the guilt. So if I'm still wrestling with the guilt or feeling guilty, maybe Jesus really hasn't forgiven me. And I'm going to just tell you, the church, never trust your feelings. When they start telling you, when they start convicting you, when they start condemning you, when they start making you feel so guilty, even though you have asked God to forgive you, then why do I still feel guilty? Well, the, maybe you're not standing on the truth. Just stand on the truth. Just believe that you are forgiven. And choose not to be paralyzed by that lie. It feels so captivating, so real, so true. The truth, though, is, in essence, Jesus was saying, Simon, you're forgiven. You know what? You are not discarded. Have you ever thought about how the son felt in the parable of the lost son? sometimes called the prodigal son, as he has gone off to, and, and squandered his wealth, as he has actually given so much of his time to this farmer feeding pigs in order to support himself, in order to get food and a place to live, and he was feeding pigs, which, by the way, if you're a Jew, you're not supposed to have those, remember? And so here he is, and, he, and he's feeding pigs, and he sits down, and Jesus tells us in this parable, and then he came to his senses. Now, he only got halfway there. He said, you know what? Maybe I should just go and tell my dad I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. Please forgive me and at least take me on as a hired hand. They'll at least get paid and, and fed and, and this, oh my goodness, pig swill. Uh, no, take that off the menu. And so at least he got halfway there. At least take me on as a a hired hand, Dad, he came to his senses. He pressed X. He, he was like the, the deer caught in the headlights and then closed his eyes. And he said, no, I'm not going to believe this. The truth can be so familiar. We want to hang on. Excuse me. The lie can feel so familiar. Maybe you grew up with believing a certain lie. And every time you fall into a sin, it's like that lie repeats itself over and over and over. And you hold on to the familiar, even though it's a lie. You know, just this past week, uh, a refrigerator of ours 
broke, did everything we could, repaired one item, still nothing. It, sound, it looked good. It sounded like it was running well, but it was not blowing cold. And I made some calls, and what should I do, blah, blah, blah. And they said, you know what? The best thing for you to do is get a new fridge. So I got a new fridge. But guess what I did with the old one? It's in the garage. I'm hanging on to it. I just, because I'm looking at it, it looks good. It, 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 it even sounds, when you plug it in, it sounds like it runs well. You know what? I need to jettison that thing. I just need to get rid of it. I'm holding on to it. Have you ever done that? Guys, like an old t-shirt, right? You hold on to it. I had one of those t-shirts, and finally one day, I, where is it? Where is it? I mean, I can't, I'm digging through my clothes. Where is it? My wife says, oh, that one, the, the ripped one with holes in it. The, yeah, I threw that one away, and I was like, What? You know, we like to hold on to the familiar. The problem, though, is when you hold on to the familiar lies, they will paralyze you. You have to set it aside. You have to put your foot to that. Peter eventually came to that point in his weeping, feeling guilt. He turned away from the lie. He chose the truth. So the first truth that Jesus had communicated in Simon, you're forgiven. And then he, in essence, says, I love you, and I am not angry with you. And the third one is, I still desire to use you, and I've got a plan for you. Can I ask you, do you believe that God has forgiven you? Do you believe that he still loves you? Or do you feel that God is so ticked with furled brow and crossed arms that, ah, Mike, really, again? And that how on earth could God accept you when he's so angry with you? But the truth is that he is not. And then, God, how could you ever use me again? And we can believe the lie. You know what? God's just going to put me on the shelf. That's not what he did with Peter. He says, then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Do you know these three truths? Then Jesus is asking you, do you believe that I have a plan for your life? Then go do it. Go do it. Believe the truth. Let me go through those lies again. This sin is too bad. It's too horrifying. You know, apparently you have maxed out God's ability to forgive with this sin. Nope. Tank is empty. God can't forgive me beyond this with this one. Or, I've done this sin so many times, I'm sure I have wearied him by asking him to forgive me. How could he forgive me yet again? Or, you know what, God's just, yeah, I really ticked him off with this one. And we can even say to others, as they're trying to tell us the truth, oh, but you know what, this sin that I have done, I can't tell you, it is just so bad. So Paul had Christians killed, and yet somehow your sin is worse? Peter denied Jesus three times. I don't even know this guy, and yet your sin is worse. We could go through a litany of uh, a list of sins, and the truth is that there is no sin that God cannot forgive. Or we can conclude, you know what, I'm worthless. I'm of no redeeming value. God has kicked me to the curb. And you know what? I would too. If I were God, that's what I would do. Maybe 
That's the problem. Because you expect God to be just like you. God is so different. I'm, I'm going to read to you some scriptures. Because right now, as I'm listing some of these lies, maybe, maybe you're saying, you know what, Mike? I still believe those lies. Right now, as you're listing them, maybe you're feeling guilt being stirred up. Not freedom from guilt, but you're, you're feeling guilt. So here's what I'm going to do. If you don't believe what I'm saying, I'm going to let God speak to you right now. If you don't hear the Spirit of God speaking to your heart, I'm going to let God's truth speak to you. Do you wrestle with sin that you feel as if it is too much? Listen to this. Or you have sinned too many times or this sin is too bad? Psalm 103, verse 3. It says, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. There is no sin that he can't forgive or will forgive. All of them. Or maybe this, that maybe you feel as if you have sinned too many times and you've exhausted your, you know, God's ability to forgive you of your sins. Psalm 49 Verses 15 through 16. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. What? The NASB says, I have inscribed you. Do you know what it means to inscribe? It doesn't mean to write down. It means to apparently press so hard it's indented in the wood or the stone or whatever, the writing, whatever it is. I have engraved you on my, it's permanent. Never to come off, never to wash out. I will never leave. You know, a woman who nurses her baby, she might possibly forget you. And of course, you're thinking, no way. Well, even more so, God cannot forget you. Why? Because he is, he's got your name on the palm of his hand, holding close to his heart. He will never forget you. He will never exclude you, kick you to. No sin is too bad. No sin is beyond his forgiveness. That's how much he loves you. Will he ever be so angry with you? Well, maybe a better question, will he ever even be angry with you? If you have come to Christ and Christ paid for your sins to be forgiven and turned away the wrath of God, there's no condemnation in Christ. Listen to what Isaiah 54 says, verse 9. To me, this is like the days of Noah when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. Listen, church, so now, I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. He is not angry with you. If you have come to Christ, he is like that father when the, he sees his son running to him, anxious for the acceptance, forgiveness, and approval again of the father. The father welcomes him with open arms. And he hugs and he, he welcomes him. He loves his son so much. There's a time of kissing and weeping. Wow. 
That is the Father's heart for you. We're too familiar and we hold on too tightly to these lies. Believe the truth. Are we really worthless? I mean, why would he tell Peter, then feed my sheep? He didn't say, well, you know what, Peter? That's well and good, but you're disqualified now. You know, I can't use you. You know, like a used Kleenex, I'm just discarding you now. No, Peter, feed my sheep. I have a hope and a promise for you. And I'm never going to retract that. There is no sin that you could do that would cause God to say, oh, you know what? Yeah, that was the last one. No more forgiveness. Tank run dry. Can't forgive you on this one. As a matter of fact, this one was so bad. I just can't use you anymore. Sorry. He will never. Listen, church, truth. He will never say that to you. He will never say that about you. So what I want to do right now is I'm just going to conclude. I'm going to conclude with this. Psalm 103 is one of my favorite psalms. And I'm just going to read a portion to you. I want you to listen. He says, let me back up. When we feel as if we are worthless, listen to this truth before I read Psalm 103. He says, you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. It is carved in stone. He has them prepared already for you to walk in, for Peter to turn his brothers back to the Lord, though they had abandoned him and he had led the way. For him to preach not just on the day of Pentecost, but to heal the lame man, to raise Tabitha from the dead, to heal the lame man. God used him over and over and over again. And God wants to do that with you. Are you ready? Are you ready to stop believing this all too familiar lie or these set of lies that you constantly go back to? It's, let me be blunt here, those lies are like the pig swill that we go back to. It's like the mud, once the sow had washed, goes back to the mud. Don't do that. Don't go back to the lies. Get out of the lies. Let Jesus wash you clean. To encourage you with truth. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. Just listen to these words. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse. We are now come to the cross, because this is in the Old Testament, and here's the truth. He will never accuse. Never listen to the accuser of the brothers about you. Never. He will not always accuse, nor will, he, nor will he harbor his anger forever. We have come to the cross. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from, from us. As a father 
has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. You know, every time my kids would disobey, take them into the bathroom, take them, walk them through this, and when I was done, I would always want to reinforce my daddy's heart for them. And I would always ask him, how much does daddy love you? And they would always know this much around the world a million times. This is how much God loves you. He wants to speak truth into your life today. That's how the deer pulls out of the beams of the headlights. That's how the bee, the the deer flees for safety. That's how Peter was able to get out of this, this weeping and this remorse and how Judas could not. This is the truth. Lies paralyze. Truth will set you free. Can you stand with me? Father, I thank you for the truths of your word I just ask you, Father, right now, as the enemy would be speaking lies to us, Father, give us an awareness of what those lies are and set us free from them, Father. Speak truth over us today, God. And as as we just said, as we now stand and, and listen, I just ask you, Spirit of God, minister truth. Minister truth. Pull us out of that danger that downward spiral. This is your father's heart for us. You welcomed back the lost prodigal son. You welcome us back with open arms, always forgiving. Thank you for that truth. Thank you, Lord, that there is no sin that you hold against those who trust in you. We will never be put to shame because we have been set free from shame. Thank you, Father. Heal that heart, Lord. May we embrace the truth and be set free. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.